You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Well, welcome back, everyone, and happy Catholic Schools Week. You know, since 1974, National Catholic Schools Week has been the annual celebration of Catholic education in the United States. It began Sunday, January 31st, and runs through February the 6th. The theme for Catholic Schools Week this year is Catholic Schools, Faith, Excellence, and Service. Catholic schools around the country typically observe the annual celebration with masses, open houses, and other activities for students, families, parishioners, and community members. And if you haven't listened to our podcast lately, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last few episodes where we have focused on advancement and marketing and enrollment strategies for Catholic schools. And so on behalf of Changing Our World, I want to thank our teachers, principals, priests, bishops, benefactors, businesses, and so many more that help to provide a high-quality Catholic education for our students. And I want to thank our parents for choosing a Catholic education for your students and for all the sacrifices that go with that. And lastly, thank you to our students for being a beacon of faith for your generation. You're not only building a future for yourselves, but also a future for our church, our country, and our world. Happy Catholic Schools Week, everyone. Now, let's get to work. Today, my co-host Fred Roberts and I talk with representatives from the Presido Project, including Alex Urea, the CEO of Eduscape, a social innovation company with a team of experienced and passionate educators who provide a blended interactive and personalized learning environment in the classroom, and Andrea Chavez-Cop, the chief learning officer for the Presido Project, which is a nonprofit that develops and implements innovative models of Catholic education with a goal to build capacity towards self sustaining Catholic schools. And so, without further ado, here's our conversation. Well, Andrea, Alex, Fred, welcome to the podcast. So glad to have you here on Advancing Our Church. Thank you. Happy Thanks to for be here. Us, Jim. Fred, always glad to have you back in the saddle. Uh, Fred's uh, managing director at Changing Our World and frequent co-host here at Advancing Our Church. Uh, Fred, how you been lately? Good, Jim. Happy 2021 to everybody. So, yeah. Uh, doing well and glad to be here. Ready to ready to roll. We are um, experiencing some weather here in the Northeast as we record this. Actually, just started snowing outside my window. How are things in Ohio? Overcast, as they usually are. Overcast. So, is it coming? Yeah, we're are you guys going to get some weather? We're supposed to get a little of that. Yeah, I think we're we're going to dodge the, the the majority of it. That's great. That's great. And uh, Alex, are you located? In, you're located in New Jersey, correct? Yes, we're in northern New Jersey, uh, about twenty minutes outside the city. Fantastic. And Andrea, where, where's your location? Where do you call home? I'm in Falls Church, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., and uh, there would be a two-hour delay today if my children went to a physical school, but they are both virtual learners, so it does not matter. (laughs) You know, my 16-year-old son was very disappointed last night when we got the text that we were getting weather, but good news, you don't have to miss school, so (laughs) (laughs) he didn't view that that as good news. (laughs) Good news indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Good news for mom and dad. That's funny. As we drop this episode, it is Catholic Schools Week. 
And so it's most appropriate uh, that we talk about, I think, some of the challenges, but certainly more than that, the opportunities that you have been pursuing as an organization and doing so well around the country and uh, and just, you know, how schools can benefit from your organization. Maybe we should start, uh, Alex, you're the CEO and founder of Edgescape. Tell us a little bit about how you got started and how the company's evolved over the years. Edgescape was uh, founded about 13 years ago, and its purpose is to help integrate technology into curriculum. And uh, since then, we've evolved into a total professional learning organization, not just in the tech area with Google, Microsoft, but in social emotional learning, differentiated instruction, ESL, and other uh, elements that are very needed right now in education. Really, the focus here would be to, is, is around the Procedo project because we're leveraging everything we've learned over two decades in terms of innovation in education and working with some of the leading STEM and ed tech companies in the world and bringing that to the Procedo project, which is nonprofit that's driving innovation and the revitalization of Catholic schools. Wonderful, wonderful. And and so the Procedo project is something relatively new. And as you say, it's a nonprofit 501c3, I imagine governed by a board and, and all that. Yeah. And Andrea, you're the chief uh, learning officer, chief academic officer for the organization. And what drew you to be a part of the of the Procedo project? I know you, you come from NCEA and as a teacher, you bring a lot of great uh, Catholic school experience to the project. Yes. Well, I worked with Alex quite a bit uh, in a different capacity when I was at the NCEA, and Mm. we became fast friends uh, through that work because we both really had a heart for innovation, building new programs. And what I love about working with Alex is that, you know, he he has a vision and he gets it and we can, you know, get together and, and talk not only aspirationally, but, you know, how do we actually make these things happen? Who do you know? Who do I know? What's the talent out there? We can do this. And that's really the spirit behind the Presido project. So, you know, with COVID happening and, and so many changes going on and the needs of educators being so acute, uh, this is the time. I mean, he just said, Andrea, it's time. And so we did it. <laughs> we just did it. And <laughs> on a wing and a prayer, uh, but we're having great success. We're being so new. We're really excited about the response. Nearly everyone we talk to says, this is what we've been waiting for. We're hungry for this. So it's really exciting to sort of get that affirmation right away. That's fantastic. I was noticing uh, one of your latest project is a dashboard to facilitate teachers teaching remotely and online. I would imagine that that's been a very busy part of your business over the last uh, year, to say the least. Well, we've started a global Catholic educator community on EdWeb. So it is open to everyone. It is free. We want to connect Catholic educators, not only in the U.S., but around the world, around special topics and their needs. Certainly remote and hybrid learning is, you know, again, acutely felt by teachers and, and parents, you know, who are uh, supporting teachers and students in that role. Certainly, Eduscape as a professional development company offers a lot of expertise and support to us in that area. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Alex. You know, earlier you mentioned, Jim, that there are challenges, but also opportunities. COVID has presented some challenges for sure for education, both public and Catholic. And you've seen that some many Catholic schools have remained open with limited incidents and their enrollments have grown. Therein is the opportunity, but the challenge is that Many of these schools are very pleased that their enrollments grew, but I, I don't see any strategies to retain enrollment. Mm-hmm. And when I go to mass on Sunday, and I typically don't go to one parish, I 
I, I parish hop, I call it, because I like to hear get different perspectives. <laughs> but I hear from parents that have shifted their students to Catholic school at the parish, but they don't talk about keeping them there. It's almost a temporary fix until their public school goes back. So I think it's really important that Catholic educators and diocesan leaders not just you know say, yay, we've grown enrollment. But it wasn't because it was a strategy. It happened as a byproduct of COVID. Now we really need to take this opportunity and develop thoughtful, practical strategies to retain those new students we enrolled and build a self-sustaining model. So that's important. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. So uh, obviously that's something that you coach and work with schools on, on, on the retention side. Give us, if somebody's listening right now on the podcast, give us an example of one strategy you might recommend to retain a family. And, and I, I agree, I've heard this story many times that maybe it wasn't that they fell in love with Catholic schools, but it was the best educational option for their family because maybe they were going back or just work with their family situation. But now they're in, now we've got them, now they're part of the family. You know, how do we retain them? How do we keep them? I think one really important element to consider is that because of COVID, people really miss community. And that's something Catholic schools do exceedingly well. Communities of faith, regardless of your personal faith, because we have many students and parents who are not Catholic, but, you know, we want to be a faith that attracts. And, you know, as a parent, I can tell you that, you know, even if I'm not in love with my child's school on a given day, I don't pull them out because those are their friends and their parents are my friends. And that's where we go to mass and that's my community. So you become attached to that and it has a greater value than simply a ledger of this is how much I pay and this is what I get. It's more than that. The the whole is more than the sum of its parts. So Catholic schools who who focus on really building community, on welcoming, on knowing the needs of their communities are, are the ones that are going to retain those students. And also, you know, Jim and Fred, what's, what's important too is that our mission is about bringing innovation in all practices of Catholic education. The thing about innovation is that by nature, it has to be nimble. Mm -hmm. If you look at the rising companies right now in our society, an organization like Tesla has many, many micro teams. They don't have huge departments because mm -hmm. innovation by its design has to be nimble. You can't mm -hmm. have bureaucracies. You can't have boards of 17 people. You know, it doesn't work. Our schools by design are small, whether they're 250, 300 students in a K-8 or five, 600 students in a, in a high school, Catholic high school. We're still smaller and more nimble than most public schools. So we have to capitalize on that size and we can shift and innovate a lot quicker with less bureaucracy. So that's a, that's a competitive advantage. And innovation requires that nimbleness in order to not ship with the tide, but to maintain a constant flow of best practices in academics, in faith, and in community, like, like Andrea mentioned. It's relatively easy to build community on a virtual platform. I mean, unfortunately, we had some examples of that in politics, how quickly things can scale. Well, let's let's shift that. And, and do it to build these communities that Andrea mentioned in schools, but also cultivate communities where parents are not required to show up because it fulfills their quota for the school in addition to tuition. If we focus more on meeting the needs of our constituents, everything else will follow. So we have to look at more of those felt needs, address them as a community of faith and a community of learners. And then these other things will take care of themselves as opposed to being driven solely by we have to hit a number. 
Alex, totally agree with your uh, assessment on innovation. I think that's uh, something that's definitely key to the future of Catholic schools. And very impressed with both of you and your commitment to, to Catholic education, to Catholic schools. In my experience, uh, working 24 years in the in the Catholic field development, uh, particularly, we worked with many uh, Catholic schools uh, over the years, and. You know, one of the, the challenges that, that we've seen is ability to keep up with the technology, to be innovative. So I'm just curious, what uh, technologies or strategies do you help educators with uh, so that they can nurture engaging in exemplary learning environments? I'll start, Alex, if you don't mind, and then you can uh, dovetail in. Certainly, hybrid learning, best practices, teaching practices using technology are a really important part of that equation. But innovation is not necessarily just about technology. It's about the ability to rethink the way things have always been done. I've heard, and I know we're all sick of the phrase, the you know, the new normal. But there is so much of that sentiment of I can't wait till things get back to normal, which is a little bit dangerous because it risks us forgetting that normal wasn't that great before. (laughs) You know, we can be nostalgic for it, but there are a lot of things that weren't working before. So looking at new ways of approaching systemically across all facets of education is a really important lens to have, not necessarily just classroom practice. Some of the things that we're doing, you know, in addition to instructional innovation is, you know, Alex and I, we gather people in remote platforms for events. We've helped a couple of organizations transform their events uh, into virtual. There are new strategies for even for doing fundraising connecting people in new and different ways. Luckily, you know, now there's not as much resistance to using technology for those types of gatherings where maybe there was before. So again, that's another, you know, sort of opportunity that has presented itself where people maybe are more open to looking at new ways of gathering and and doing things because of the pandemic. Alex, you want to add to that? Yes. And also you have um, sometimes Catholic schools are seeking to find something to latch onto to be viable or become viable again. And they may follow trends. One of them has been STEM education, which in Catholic schools we call STREAM, adding religion in the arts. And we've seen firsthand where a proper implementation of STEM can impact both the students, the parents, and raise enrollment. But it has to be done very strategically because we have a saying that STEM doesn't start with a box. And STEM is not about getting to a principal's meeting and you find out, hey, what are you using? I'm using XYZ robot. Great. I'm going to buy it because you like it. You have to first build capacity among teachers to be STEM educators. The organizations I've run have delivered professional development to over 800,000 teachers. So we have a lot of experience in this. We've essentially nearly delivered PD to 23% of the teachers in the United States over the years. So we take that experience. And in Catholic schools, It has a direct impact on what we all want, efficacy, quality, and increased enrollment. And I'll give you a specific example about an elementary school, a Catholic elementary school in New Jersey that implemented a stream program in the fall of 19. Unfortunately, a school nearby was shut down, and those parents were told you can go to one of three schools in the area by the diocese. The majority of parents wanted to go to this particular school, and they were citing specifically that when they spoke to teachers in the school, and they did a lot of things virtually on Zoom, they met teachers online, and the teachers all spoke about the STREAM program. They were all involved. It wasn't about an isolated room in the school like the computer lab used to be. It was about 
shifting the culture and the mindset of all the teachers and buying into this vision. And this is, again, goes back to being nimble. They were able to make change quickly because instead of having 600 teachers like their local public school did, they have 22 teachers. So shifting culture and mindset was a lot easier. We have to invest in the educator and make our teachers treat them as professionals. And again, Catholic schools have that ability. Every first Friday is typically a half day. You do mass in the morning, half day. Teachers can have PD in the afternoon. And if you look at charter schools, the misnomer about charter schools is that they're so successful. Not necessarily. But the most successful charter schools in the country, the top 2%, all have one thing in common. Every Wednesday of the entire school year, they do professional development for teachers. We have an opportunity to do something similar in Catholic schools. And that's what's going to raise these schools. And believing in a theory of abundance, if we all jump into that pool together, we're going to raise that. what They'll all be raised. And this is a holistic effort. It's not just top down. It needs to be at the school level. There's wonderful leaders who just need more support. And, and we can do this. I couldn't agree more. You know, when I was speaking with uh, Bill Brannick over in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, he's the IT technology guy for uh, education in the Archdiocese. You, you may have run into Bill from time yeah, to time. Bill's a good friend. <laughs> One of the things that always impressed me about what Bill is, uh, his desire to get technology coaches into the classroom. And he was doing that long before COVID began. And I think that um, because it kind of goes along with what you're saying, that providing them that ongoing support so that they're comfortable you know, with the technology, it becomes second nature. Then they can really focus in on the teaching and learning and build a, a great experience for the students. That's tremendous. And across yeah. all of those facets of education, that's really what we want to do. We want to build capacity and elevate practice, regardless of the role in, in Catholic education. And one other thing I want to mention, too, is that education is not just in the during the school day. If you look at uh, speaking to some Catholic publishers, I obtained some data last week where religious formation, aka CCD programs, attendance dropped 60 to 80 percent due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And again, we're not cultivating young Catholics. We're losing that opportunity because we're not infusing digital discipleship practices into those ministry programs. And with the right use of technology, those CCD programs did not have to slow down or shutter or lose attendees. So part of our mission is to bring those digital discipleship practices and tools into schools and parishes, really professionalize further the role of the CCD teacher. I was a CCD teacher for 27 years. Wow. And I remember being put into a room on a Saturday morning at 8 a.m. with eighth graders as a favorite of Father Charlie White, who used to be at American Martyr School in Bayside. You're a brave and man, Alex. <laughs> not only, I wasn't even a man yet, Jim. I was, I was 17. And the, the CCD teacher had, couldn't make, she had resigned or something. And he called me up and said, do me a favor. And I said, what? He says, you were a good altar boy. You've been, you've remained involved. Can you cover this? And uh, it was a rough first Saturday at 8 a.m. with a bunch of 13-year-olds. Um, but the following week, uh, I always tell the story. I saw this archaic machine in the corner in 1986 called an Apple IIe. Yep, I and remember. I pulled it to the center of the room, made a semicircle of desks, and I found these eight, and I think they were eight-inch disks at the time. Mm -hmm. And I slid them into that machine, and I found that they had pictures of the saints and of places in Jerusalem, just images. And they aligned to some of the things that I had to cover in content. So I slid those in, and when those kids walked in that morning, uh, looking miserable. Their parents kicked them out of the car and said, you have to go. 
their eyes kind of opened up a bit when they saw technology. And that simple engagement of infusing technology kept them interested for the remaining few weeks that I was doing this. And that was one of my first experiences on the impact of what technology can do to drive good practice in education, even in ministry. It's about engagement, just like the pastors. What do you want to do first? You want to engage your flock, get their interest, and then you can do your ministry. So this applies to not just schools, school day, it applies to ministry, youth ministry, and all facets of education when it comes to Catholicism. I'd like to just expand on digital discipleship in case that's a new term for your listeners. In schools, you know, we're very familiar with the concept of digital citizenship, which is, you know, responsible behavior in online places, safety, all those types of things. And digital discipleship is something that I have been passionate about for many years. For us, you know, digital discipleship is about moving digital citizenship past a list of no-nos, don't do this, don't do that, but really embracing technology as a way not only to impact and change the world for the better, but as a tool for evangelization and catechesis. Uh, Alex mentioned a little bit about catechetical programs. There has been such openness and desire from catechetical organizations, parish programs, directors of religious education that we are connected with that really want to transform and elevate catechesis at the parish level as well. This is an area as church that we can improve upon. Schools and parishes cooperating and sharing resources. I had the experience of working both in a parish and in a school. You don't often get a foot in both camps. <laughs> Sometimes uh, parishes and schools, they uh, they have the, their little turf wars over, you know, your your Sunday school kids broke all the crayons or, right. no, we're not giving you the Wi-Fi password or, you know, the, you know, those types of things. There are some very simple things if we just are open to being in the same room that we can really support and elevate each other in that. Digital discipleship is a, is a natural fit because the school teachers have so much professional development in those areas, especially now after the pandemic, and helping some of these catechists who may be volunteers who don't have a background in education itself, sort of learn and understand how to incorporate some of these elements into their programs. I couldn't agree more, Andrew. I mean, I love everything that what, what you're both saying about um, it's all about engagement and finding the key in uh, into the learning, uh, opening someone up to that learning experience. I, I didn't realize that your um, that your ex- your expansion, your your thought process is is to even to expand into parish and and parish evangelization edu- education. It makes perfect sense. It's a natural fit. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you see? Are you engaged? Uh, I would imagine you're engaged in some conversations then with not only superintendents but CCD directors for dioceses and and other schools systems. I, that just seems to flow naturally. Absolutely. And our, you know, our relationships with Catholic publishers are a big element in that, not only to help uh-huh. the publishers, but also to help foster those relationships with us. I um, had the privilege of, of working with a lot of Catholic organizations in, in my previous experience with the NCEA and being in charge of, you know, digital formation in, in, in that capacity. So they all sort of know me in that space. So it's, it's an easy transition in that way, because I have those relationships already and have done a lot of that work sort of in a consulting capacity. So it works. It's a natural fit for us. And it would be remiss if we sort of only focused on schools and didn't bring them along with us. In terms of publishers, we develop relationships and are developing relationships weekly with more publishers in Catholic media. In terms of raising this awareness, we also want to work with certain publishers that have struggled to go digital. Mm. So 
we now have a platform that we've acquired to facilitate the digitization of texts and things like that with more interactive elements. Because even your Pearsons of the world, your McGraw-Hills, when they first published digital tools, they were glorified PDFs. So we want to work with Catholic publishers to help them go digital with interactive elements that are infused in those assets that they built, that content that's been so valuable and sustained them for decades. We want to bring them to help come to that next level. So if we don't raise the publishers, you know, we we have we need them. We need them to remain viable. So that's part of what we're doing as well. This is not just a movement focused on one piece of it. It, it has to be holistic or it won't succeed. And digital learning is uh, so crucial. Andrea, I see that you're uh, both a Google certified educator and a Microsoft innovative educator. Um, what uh, opportunities or tools do those programs offer to you or to teachers in today's learning environment? Well, you know, I am a big advocate of the tool being irrelevant. It's really about good practice. And schools will often dictate, you know, we need we're a, this kind of school or a, that kind of school or these are the adoptions that we've made. Certainly, both of those companies have a wealth of, of things to offer educators in schools. My best advice about uh, technology implementation in school is to pick one thing and, and do that first and expand from there because we can get overloaded with programs, certifications. Uh, many tech companies gave away freebies and trials to teachers during the pandemic, which was wonderful. But, you know, then those free trials expired and all the work in, that they put into it and created, they can't access it anymore unless they, you know, they're willing to write a check. So I think thoughtfulness as far as those type of adoptions and and not, uh, you know, the wild west of of just uh, doing the first thing, making those decisions, you know, in consultation with other teachers in the building and what other schools are doing in the area. So you have that capacity between each other to, to grow together. But yeah, Google tools, a big fan, that's, that's my go-to, but certainly, you know, all of those companies and, and certifications offer a lot of support to teachers. And also the key to technology and education is to make it invisible. You need to focus on the outcomes and the purpose. So I'll give you two quick visions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have a school, let's say it's a Catholic school that puts out in their newsletter. We are a one-to-one -one school. We just bought Chromebooks. All our kids have devices. They take them home. We have interactive whiteboards. The kids use the whiteboards every day. We are a leading edge school. Then the other side to look at it. At our school, and we'll pick St. Jim Fred School, okay? <laughs> at our school, students are engaged on a daily basis. They are involved in interactivities where they bring in global practices into their daily learning. Parents have real-time communication with teachers. They get real-time feedback. And students are supported in various interactive ways to advance their learning. That's different than talking about the tools. It's talking about the outcomes that the tools enable. And if we focus on the purpose, then we don't get so caught up in the tools. And if we state purpose first and what outcomes we want, we will select better tools. We won't just select tools because we visited a school and they got a lot of good press. So you want to buy exactly what they bought. That is not a strategy. And I'll be very forthcoming. A lot of the strategies in Catholic schools has been, well, why do they get so much good press? Let me go do a school visit with my teachers. And they'll take an inventory list of what they bought and come back and say, let's buy that. That's not a solution. It happens in public education, too. You can't be driven by the technology. You have to be driven by sound pedagogy first, raise your teacher's practices, and then select the tools that drive that pedagogy more successfully. And again, it's easy to do this when you're nimble. You know, that's why Catholic schools can become beacons of innovation. 
Well, in, a, in that same vein, a couple of things. One, I think this is a place to have some conversations with higher ed in regard to teacher training. I started teaching at the turn of the century in the year 2000. And I would guess that teachers who are coming out of those pre-service programs today probably are learning many of the same techniques and strategies that I learned all that time ago. And probably teachers who uh, came out of college 20 years before me learned a lot of the same things that I did. Just because people are young and use technology for entertainment does not mean they're good at it for executive function, for teaching. I, I will tell you, I have more technology in this house that any logical person should have. <laughs> there, there are so many devices in this house. I have two avid gamers. They have very complex ability to um, socialize, to get things done, to collaborate online for entertainment. And we have struggled to get them where they need to be with digital learning. And I know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm a teacher. This is my area of expertise and they're smart kids and we're struggling. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done sort of in, in the practice at the, at the higher ed level in pre-service teachers. And that's a place where Catholic schools, again, can be beacons of innovation because you know, we, those can be places where, you know, these teachers are doing internships and partnering with universities in that way. It's, it's a win-win situation. I tell you, I, I, everything you're saying just rings so true. I mean, for, for the longest time, uh, and I've had these conversations with, with some Catholic schools that the big challenge was we need to get everybody on a Chromebook or before that, everybody needs to have an iPad, you know, whatever the shiny new toy was, you know, during that particular time. And now, uh, it's almost as though this pandemic has moved us, I think, past that. We all, in, in, in almost every case, we have to be one to one. We have to have this technology. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to reach the students. So now that we have this technology, maybe in many, many schools that didn't have this before, they've upgraded, they've made significant purchases thanks to donors, their parishes, the diocese, whatever. Now it is just as you're saying, how are we using that to move the ball forward? And you know, the one thing about Catholic schools that I noticed in my time working uh, in a diocese is um, that we do teaching and learning typically much far superior than our counterparts, that the outcomes of our students are usually on an aggregate, much, much greater. So the teaching and learning fundamentals, I think, are there. And I think what you're bringing here is now just a best practice to take it now to the next level for, for a lot of the schools, not for every school, but for many of the schools. And when I was a classroom teacher, I, I experienced that. Our, our pastor got someone to write a check and they bought all the kids' iPads and, and they came in with bags full of iPads, handing them out to kids. You know, I used to say he was like, Oprah, you get an iPad and you get an iPad. You know, we didn't <laughs> even have Wi-Fi at the school. I mean, it was a disaster, an unmitigated disaster. Yeah. We went, we did it completely backwards. And I thought at the time as an educator, surely this is an anomaly and how crazy that something like this could happen. And the more educators I talk to, it's the rule rather than the exception right. of some of those adoptions happen. So it, it really is more than devices. Absolutely. And so our I, Catholic schools, I'm sorry to interrupt, our no, Catholic schools were really first to do this, this remote learning because they opened right away over a long weekend, they shifted with varying levels of success, but they did it right away before many public schools could open. So, you know, at this point, Catholic school educators are the most experienced in digital learning because they've do they've done it longer. Absolutely. So as I'm a parent of a of an eighth grader who's in Catholic school, and we're fortunate that uh, that he's able to be in school 
five days a week, which I think is really a, a big help to him and in, in his growth. But I was interested to see that you offer a webinar for parents to help them to, you know, to be a remote learning aid. So my question is, uh, with regards to that webinar, are there any tips that you can share for our listeners as far as uh, how, to, how to be a remote learning aid as a parent? Well, I think the best thing that parents or teachers can do is intentional practice with understanding the procedures and and the habits and the platforms, helping your your child, uh, first of all, have a dedicated learning space, but also to say, this is where you go for your assignments. This is how you put things in your calendar. This is, you know, why you need to answer emails. My ninth grader last year, things were missing. And as a parent, I said, this is, you have a zero this. And he said, well, how am I supposed to know? I said, it's in your email. He said, well, how am I supposed to know when I have an email? This is a child who does, you wouldn't imagine the things that this child can do with technology. But it occurred to me as a parent, he's in ninth grade. He's never had to check email before. Why would he inherently know that? Some of these things, you know, it's it's just drilling and practice, just like on the first day of school, you would show the kids where you put your folder. This is what you have to do when you go to the restroom. This is, you know, how we do our morning procedures. It's it's procedure and practice and drilling those things in because a lot of the the missteps come with either navigating the platform or or miscommunication. The other thing I can say, uh, both as an educator, as a parent, is to assume good intentions. Most of the time, the teachers are tremendously supportive and loving of your students, and they want them to succeed. And parents want their babies to succeed. So we're all on the same team. So I think that Parents are very stressed. Teachers are very stressed. Emotions can get very high. So assuming good intentions is another big piece of advice that that I can give to parents and teachers. We can't forget that many teachers are parents. Mm -hmm. So they are taking a, they're almost pulling, well, they are pulling uh, double duty. They're teaching during the day to the students in their school, and then they're coming home and they have to teach their kids or help them, help guide them along. Our parent is remote learning aid approach, as Andrea said, is, is really about first setting good practices at home, that learning space that's dedicated, and also having it be very structured, because structure sounds like a dirty word sometimes to kids, but they welcome structure because within structure, you have freedom because you know your boundaries. I know that I'm going to study in this spot at this time. It's going to be quiet. And if you have multiple children, you need different study spaces or you need to almost rotate them if you live in a small place. So parents sometimes, they're not educators and they have their own stresses related to COVID and their and just day-to-day life. We have to give them even the practical tips are, are really helpful you know, to help them get through this. And I think also it's built an awareness of parents of what teachers go through, you know? Teachers, it's like they're struggling with two or three or one child. Meanwhile, their, their child's teacher has had to do this for 25 or 30 students. It's not easy. As a parent, I feel I know too much about their education at this point. I, mean, I know too much. <laughs> it's like it's being not a healthy. <laughs> like being a doctor, you don't want you, you know too much, right? Exactly. And I, I think the other piece uh, for parents and teachers is to realize that kids are really having a lot of social and emotional struggles right now, uh, either missing missing their friends or you know not being separated from their sports or clubs or maybe if they're in a situation where they're going to be returning to school soon and they have not been in a school environment for nearly a year sort of the social anxiety that goes with that piece as well there's a lot that young people are carrying around worrying about 
you know, bringing something home maybe to someone in the family who might be immune compromised. There, there are so many needs there too that you know we have to assume good intentions of the students. I know it can be frustrating when you're when you're teaching and you have a sea of Zoom cameras that are turned off, and you know you're you're you feel like you're talking to an empty room. But you know we have to really realize that the students are carrying a lot of stress and emotion about this, and they may or may not have the words to talk about it. There's also those students who thrived during this environment and maybe didn't do so well in an in-person setting. And we need to look at what was missing for that student. And as we go back moving forward in education, should we look at, you know, how we can expand enrollment without our four walls? Do we have space for students in virtual classrooms where we can, you know, offer things to parents who now are used to working remotely and maybe they don't want to be tied to a brick and mortar location or the, or where it's a, a blended family and students are going on one parent one week and another parent the other. And would that provide flexibility and support to families that doesn't exist anywhere else? And I think we need to look at where all of these cracks are and, and think about how as church, we can fill them to bring more people in. Oh, I agree. I think there are some bridges that we're not going to be able to cross backwards when this is over. The genie's out of the bottle, and uh, and that's mm-hmm. good in in many ways. You know, Alex, I think we come from a similar generation since you met when you mentioned that Apple uh, computer uh, analogy back in the eighties. I, I think we probably have kids rev- relatively the same age. My, uh, I've got two in high school, one in college, and uh, you know, junior and a senior, and. My my junior and senior obviously have missed out on quite a bit in the last year and a half. Some really important years that were very memorable for me: proms, dances, football games, that kind of thing. How how have your kids adapted uh, through this whole pandemic? All very differently, Jim. I have three children like you. My son is in his fourth year of college, and my daughter is a freshman in college, mm. and my other daughter is a junior in high school. Mm. So, my middle one, my daughter was a senior last year. She graduated. Her graduation did not happen at the end of May. It happened in Mm mid-July. And even then, there was a lot of controversy around why can't everybody attend and grandparents. And, you know, as Andrea alluded to, the social anxiety around that, like, why am I listening to, you know, other parents argue with the school that they can't bring grandma and grandpa in? And it's all these things that happen. But my kids are all different learners. So my son being already in college at the time adjusted pretty well the social dynamic that was impacted was sports. He wasn't able to play rugby. And that was the first time he shared with me, you know, he didn't realize that it was the first time since he was five years old that he didn't have an organized sport to take up part of his time. Mm-hmm. And that really affected him like socially. He had to fill that void. My middle daughter, she likes social interaction, very engaged and involved in clubs and those things disappeared, but she managed to find ways to, to fill that void. My youngest one has been thriving. She's a social animal, but yet academically, she is not a fan of lectures. She's a fan of, tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. So it's been great for her and she's excelled because she can. So it's, it's I, I've seen the different learners in my own family and how they've been impacted by this. But in the end, it all comes back to the idea of engagement and, and reaching learners. I had a very successful superintendent tell me once that, it is literally impossible to engage more than a dozen kids without technology that or differentiate. So he doesn't know how we did it for decades with 30, 35, 40 kids in a classroom. And it's true. How do you engage? Think about it. it's hard enough to go into a meeting and engage 10 people in a, in a conference room. But how do you engage 36 year olds, you know, in a typical environment? Now you think of 
a, a remote environment, how do you engage 36 year olds to mm -hmm. stay in your Zoom or in your Google Meet or Microsoft Team meeting? That, that's a daunting task for teachers. But going back to your original question, again, my kids adapted differently, but fortunately, okay. I think I think we're okay. We just have to be mindful of the social dynamics that were impacted. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I've actually been very impressed with the uh, the emotional maturity uh, of all of them. I mean, we've had our ups and downs, and there's been some disappointments, as you can imagine. My my middle child is a senior, and was um, I mean, this was going to, obviously for many reasons going to be her big year, but she's an officer in the drama club. They do a fall play, they do a spring musical, and those things are happening in a different way online now. And and but she's also now learning how to edit videos and do drama in a kind of a different way, which is kind of neat because she's thinking about possibly a career in the film industry or doing that kind of thing. So it's all God's plan, right? And we have to kind of trust in his providence and, and kind of walk with them along the journey. You know, I'm curious, uh, we've touched a little bit on it. In your in your mission for Presidio, you, you, you talk a little bit about governance, you talk a little bit about advancement, you mentioned development. Obviously, that's an area that we work in quite a bit. Have you had further conversations on how development or advancement, I, I know you're full well into the marketing and engagement piece, uh, or even the governance, you know, when you think I've, I've worked a lot with school boards and formations and such strategic planning, uh, how does that play into your into your program and, and into your mission? You know, the purpose we have there is to it's all about best practices, mm -hmm. you know, and engaging organizations that have done this well, mm -hmm. the schools, but also making sure that development practices and strategic plans are not an event. Right. Because that's what happens. You mm -hmm. have companies that have done strategic plans for dioceses and archdioceses, and then that gets pushed down to the schools, and they're in a binder, I call it. And that yep. binder goes on the shelf. And then by the time the paper starts to turn yellow, we do a new strategic plan. Mm -hmm. What we have to do is work with schools shoulder to shoulder and help them implement. And, mm -hmm. and governance models need to be modeled around who do we want at the table? What areas do we need? Do we need somebody with legal background, the finance background, but also do they understand the legacy of that institution? You know, and put, and you guys know this better than anybody. You need really uh, a diverse set of representatives in that governance uh, area. And also, you know, part of what we're doing, bring disruptive innovation to schools. We can't have the same people doing the same things over and over again. So the governance of a school can't just be this people who are always volunteering for the candy drive. They're wonderful people, but we need to widen the net and make sure that governance models recruit and have an ongoing recruitment phase and make it a privilege to be on the governance of a school. We, we can't be struggling to find people to fill those roles. It's too important. And the return on investment for the people who join a good board or a good committee is tremendous in terms of feeling rewarded that you, you've impacted a school. It's a great opportunity. I had um, the great honor of working with the great Larry Bossidy of uh, Honeywell and Bishop John Barris, uh, who was in Allentown now in the Diocese of Rockville Center years ago on strategic planning. And and boy, it's as though you just gave Bishop Barris his speech right there because he was not a big fan of strategic plans that then go on a shelf and are never operationalized. And that's that's what Larry Bossidy brought, at least to our operation for a couple of years while he worked with us. We we were in kind of an oper a strategic plan that was being operated operationalized as we we're kind of building the plane as we are flying it, if you will, and looking at every aspect of diocesan life and parish life to uh, to really make changes right away and, and to enact the plans and, and engage people in that mission. So absolutely. And, and I don't think in this environment that we have, we can afford to put another strategic plan 
on the shelf is just a big waste of time, especially, you know, as schools are closing and, and we're in such straits as we are, but um, couldn't agree more. And yeah. those strategic plans all need to come off the shelf now because the world is completely changed. I mean, right. and that, that they need to be reimagined. And, and regardless of, you know, how great your development is or your marketing is, the truth of the matter is, if you have strong academic programs and provide a strong Catholic identity and tell people about it, you will have a strong school creating that through line where all of those different things are connected through all of those areas where your, you know, your advancement and your marketing and all of those things are always connected to your Catholic identity and your academics, that that's what best practice is. And that's, you know, we have a big event coming up uh, offered by the Presido Project, our forefront conference, March 4th through 6th. It's a virtual event. It is about innovation and sustainability in Catholic schools across all of those areas. So we have tracks for leadership. We have tracks for marketing, for school vitality, of course, for remote instruction. Uh, we have a whole track on digital discipleship. So, you know, we hope your listeners will consider joining us for that event because it's going to be some great conversations. And and unlike, you know, maybe some other conferences out there, everything is on the it is focused on now and in the future. So you're not going to hear the same presentation you've heard at another conference. I mean, that we take that very seriously. Um, all new stuff. Lines. <laughs> yeah, and all new stuff. But along those lines, we were very intentional in this conference. We did not put out a call for proposals. Mm-hmm. What we did is we identified with feedback from many people, what are the six key areas that schools are concerned about? And then we ident- identified the topics within those strands. And we've been recruiting the best people to fill those, not just doing a general call to proposals and hope that people reply and not having a strong vetting process. We're very intentional about that. But we also have some wonderful keynotes. We have Peter Reynolds, who's one of the best, most prolific authors of our times, children's authors, presenting Recharging Your Spirit, How Creativity Can Inspire Breakthrough, Leadership and Learning. Very intentional about leadership and creativity. And he's presented all over the world, but he happens to have Catholic antecedents, very inspired by the Jesuit Simmons and twin brother were altar boys. And back in the, the early 80s, they lobbied their diocese to allow female altar servers. So they have wonderful backgrounds. And we also have a gentleman named Michael Roberto, who's a best-selling author in business. He wrote the book, Unlocking Creativity. He's a Harvard Business School professor and grad now at Bryant University. But Michael won an award from the Archdiocese of Boston for his uh, teaching seventh grade CCD. And his wife is a fifth grade Catholic school teacher. So we have two very prolific people right now in, in, a, in a current society that are out there talking about leadership, creativity, best practices. And they are coming to speak at the conference to Catholic educators and most of all, Catholic leaders. That's what we want to bring to Catholic education. And I feel like both their presentations should be heard by every archdiocesan, diocesan superintendent principal. Because even for Michael Roberto's presentation, he is talking about how to guide innovation in Catholic education, avoiding outdated assumptions, groupthink, and learning from the best organizations in the world on how to bring these practices to Catholic schools. He's writing papers for Boeing. He wrote the paper on the Columbia mission that failed in 2003. These are the Catholic educated people that we need to bridge the successful practices in businesses and nonprofits and bring them to our Catholic school leaders. Our principals, our superintendents need to have the opportunities to hear these people speak to them. That's Mm -hmm. important. And that's what Presido wants to do. So I really want to bring a shout out to that (laughs) Forefront Conference, March 4th to 6th, because it's so intentionally done to be impactful and help leaders and teachers become innovative Catholic school leaders. That, that's the intent. 
And the word procedo means to advance in Latin. That's that's why we picked it. You know, so um, and you bring up a good point about other industries, Alex. The answer to the future of education, I don't think, is already in the education industry. I think we need to look at industries across the board to see who is successful and why they're successful and how that can help Catholic education and education as a whole. Wonderful. Well, Alex and Andrea, we'll make sure that we put uh, links to the conferences in our show notes uh, and when we distribute this podcast. But I just want to thank you for uh, sharing your expertise and your passion more than anything else with our our Catholic schools around the country. It was uh, great having you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Jim. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thank you both. I want to thank Alex and Andrea for being on our show this week. I'm going to leave links on our show notes to the Presido Project and Edgescape so that you can learn more about the upcoming conferences and contact Alex and Andrea for more information. And if you'd like to view the full video presentation of this podcast, please visit our show's episode page on advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to my co-host, Changing Our Worlds, Fred Roberts, and the Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 21 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everyone. Once again, happy Catholic Schools Week. Have a terrific week. Take care and God bless.